Go ahead and grab your smartphones, your tablets, whatever you're going to use to follow along. If you don't have those devices, we do everything that we are going to be saying is going to be uh, on the screen behind me. You'll be able to follow along with absolutely no problem whatsoever. <clears throat> today we are at week three of a four-week series. The message today is extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. I'm, I'm really thrilled that all of you are here. I really am. All of, the, all of you who come on a regular basis, coming out today, of course, it was snowing like Annie mentioned. What is going on? But, you know, you made it. We're here. Uh, we, we were so sorry for last week that we had to cancel, but God is going to get us through. That's no big deal. Uh, but anyhow, I'm thrilled that you're here, and especially those of you who are here for the very first time. For the very first time. It really matters to us a lot that people would come and check out Word of Life Church. And uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're checking out. Kick the see what you think, see what you feel, and go from there. But we also want to let you know there's some really great churches in central New York. This isn't the only one. It just happens to be my favorite out of all of them that are here. But uh, there's some lo lot of good churches, so you can check all of that out. Um, I, I want you to know I love my church. I really love my church. Uh, the people here are real. The people here are genuine. They're caring. And honestly, uh, it, this is just a great church on so many levels. A, a lot that could be shared. And I'm not going to take the time to do that. And just so you know, there are some really deep relationships here at Word of Life Church. In fact, for some of them, relationships have been going on for several years in many relationships here at Word of Life. So I really do hope for those of you who are first time, second time, third time guests, kicking the tires, trying to feel whether you should or should not, uh, my desire would be is that maybe you would stay with us and get into one of those deep relationships because it's life-giving. It's what's going to help you and I to do what we need to do. So I just want to encourage you to do that. The very best way for that to happen, getting into relationships, is not only on Sundays. This is great. This is wonderful. But it's not just on Sundays. It's also, it's also connecting through what we call our life group ministry. Life group ministry. It's where we break up into small groups and we meet in homes. We meet in homes. Sometimes some people are meeting here at the church. Uh, we meet on, uh, on golf courses. We meet in driving motorcycles, whatever it may be. We meet together and then we end up uh, covering a vast array of different topics, different subjects that we're going to deal with. And most importantly, most importantly, uh, we build relationships with one another. That is really important to us that we do life together instead doing life alone, that we're doing Doing life together. As Annie mentioned just a few moments ago, number 10 of our core values uh, declares this. We believe that life happens best in small groups. Life happens best in small groups. So we offer three semesters a year. And we're launching into our spring semester here in just a couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be launching into that. Annie had mentioned about the signups. Uh, this next Sunday, you, you can preview the topics that we're going to be doing in our life groups. And then the next Sunday is when you will be able to sign up and be a part of those uh, different life groups if you'd like to do that. So we're kicking all of that off. And we just encourage you to be a part of that so we can get deeper in relationships. <clears throat> We kicked off our new year, our new year 2019, with a series called Selfless. Selfless. Actually, it's a series that's out of um, Life Church, and I've taken some of their material, needless to say, and, and uh, some good things with that. But I, I, I wonder, I, I just wonder, what if, what if we were to um, start off a new year instead of all of the resolutions and goals that we make about ourselves? 
all about me. It's all what I want to do for 2019. It's all that I want in my life for 20. What if we set that aside from who we are? And what if instead of all of that, what if instead of improve myself for 2019, what if instead of improve myself, how about you would try to improve our world? What if I was to improve my world that I'm in? Uh, w- w- instead of looking to find a better job, how about if I was for 2019 to serve a better cause, to do something for the kingdom of God, to do something for other people, to, to do something for a better cause? Uh, instead of saving more money, how about for 2019 that we would be purposing to help people? Wherever they may be, whatever may be going on, that you would, you would do your best in 2019 to help people. And how about instead of new year, new me, how about instead of in new year, new me, what about for 2019, how about if we do new year and less of me? What if your attitude, my attitude, instead of it always being about Randy, always what he wants, what he's looking for, how about if I was doing my best to help others to find that instead of it just being me? Is that something that you would agree that maybe we should do? Give me amen or something? I think we should. And I believe that 2019, if you were to really stick with this, to be selfless for 2019, and it's about others, I really believe that this could be one of the greatest years of your life if you would do this, if your focus would be on other people rather than just ourselves, rather than just about me and you. So week number one of our series... Week number one was bold, um, be, be bold in witness. Week number two, we dealt with faithful in service. The response was really good. And as you know, of course, mentioned already, we lost last Sunday. We weren't able to come together because the weather was bad and all of that goobly goop. And by the way, just so you know, this is my first time. I've been in ministry, uh, public ministry for 37 years. I've been pastor here for 26 years. This is the first time I've ever canceled a Sunday service. I've never canceled. I want to let you know, I've come to church no matter what. I've come here sick. I come here with diarrhea. I come here with puking. Ew. I had the swine flu a few years ago, and I was so bad. I coughed so much. All I could do was whisper. And you may have been here that Sunday, but I preached on a Sunday with a whisper. That's all I could do. I had the microphone right up close to my mouth just so somebody could hear me. I've never canceled. This was my first cancel ever. And I hope it's my last because I just feel so convicted about it. Of course, Marianne says, chill, you know, just take it easy. It's not that, not that bad of a thing, so hang in there. So anyhow, uh, I've said all of that to say this. I know that we have one more week of uh, self-less, but we're going to put that off. We're going to put that off for now. We'll get to it some other time uh, because next month we're going to start a brand new series. So we're going to push that off for right now, and uh, we're going to continue to move forward. So let's get into today's message. Today's message is extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. Go with me to John. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Let's read that. Let me read that to you. Assuredly, I say to you to, um, no, got the wrong verse. Uh, John 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead and whom he had raised from the dead. Let's stop right there just for a moment and let me just say this much. It's about two months. It's about two months now since Lazarus was raised from the dead. And Jesus, we're finding him now, he's back in Bethany where all of this miracle took place. A supernatural miracle. He was dead four days and came back to life. I mean, it was just, it was just incredible. Let's go to verse two. Let's pick up, continuing on. John 12 verse 2, beginning there. 
There, he made, uh, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Listen to this. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who, was, uh, who would betray Jesus, he said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he, that, and verse six, listen to verse six. Then he said, not that he, Jesus said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take it, he used to take what was put in it. And let's go to verses seven and eight. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you, uh, you have with you always, but me you do not have always, is what Jesus says here. This is really an amazing story, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. I've taught on this a few times in my years here at Word of Life, so I want to talk about it again here today. Uh, what we see in this amazing story, we see generosity, generosity with two different hearts. We see a heart that is, has a person who has a generous heart, and we see another one with a selfish heart. Mary came, and Mary is, is the sister of Lazarus. Mary came, and she displayed beautifully, beautifully an extravagant uh, heart with a, an extravagant gift. What she did for Jesus was beautiful, was incredible, was amazing. And Judas Iscariot, who despised Mary for being so generous, and obviously he exposed uh, his wicked heart to all of this as well. So there's two questions that I'm going to answer today in this message. Um, number one is, why did Mary give such an extravagant gift? Why did she do that? And the second question we're going to answer is, why did that bother Judas so much? Why did this cause him to be all bent out of shape as a result of what had taken place? There are three areas of generosity that we're going to cover today. And the first one is, uh, the first area of generosity is the enemy of generosity. The enemy of generosity. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Hmm. I think was, that's what the pastor said at the beginning of this message today. Uh, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, is what it says. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Will you do me a favor and say that with me? Selfishness is the enemy of generosity. You see, we're all born selfish, every one of us. We're born selfish. We are. We really are. And we are born again generous. And that's a great, that's a great thing. Let me say it all again. We are, we are born selfish. We really are. And we are born again. We become born again when we receive Christ as Savior. We are born, when we are born again, we are generous. And that's great news. And we just need to be renewing our mind. And that's what's happening today. As we talk about generosity, the Spirit of God is going to be speaking to you about you. The Holy Spirit is going to help you so that if you are not generous, that you will begin to be generous. Because that's who God is. And we're going to find 
that out today, and that's what God wants from every single one of us. We're all born selfish, but we can be changed. We can become generous. And if you think about, if you think about it, one of the first words a child learns and can pronounce it very, very well is that word, mine. It's mine. It's mine. And a child says it in such a way that when he's saying, mine, it's mine, mine, it's almost like hair can come up on the back of your neck and you just want to scream. Mine, it's mine, mine. <clears throat> and as a parent, you and I have to, have to uh, get up sometimes when we're hearing that word. You're watching a football game Sunday afternoon and all of a sudden you're hearing somewhere in the house, mine, mine, mine. And sooner or later, what we have to do is that we're going to have to get up and we're going to have to find exactly where that sound is coming from. And normally what's taking place is an older child is taking a toy from a younger child. And that's when the mine, mine, mine is taking place. Well, um, listen, there's a place for every single parent. I've been a parent for about 42 years and I have a few kids and I've had to go through this myself just like you have had to go through that. But every now and then there's a place for every parent when we don't care about justice any longer. We just want it quiet. I'm watching the game. I want it to be quiet. So we don't care any longer who had it first. Just give it to them. We find out who, just give it to him. But dad, it's mine. I don't care. He's got some of my stuff still too. Just give it to him. It doesn't matter. Would you agree? I mean, we all get to that place when we're hearing that mind word that drives us crazy. And actually, selfishness is one of the most difficult challenges that each and every one of us face. Selfishness promotes self. Selfishness protects self. Selfishness provides for self. Let me say it again. Selfishness promotes self, protects self, and it provides for self. And here's the real problem with all of that. You see, God is the one. God is the one who is supposed to promote, who is supposed to protect, and who is supposed to provide for us. And when selfishness is trying to promote, and selfishness is trying to protect and to provide, self, self, my selfishness is taking the place of God. My selfishness is getting and doing what I want instead of what God would want. And you need to understand that's always a bad idea. That's a bad thing that we would do is to let self be in control. Selfishness is a stronghold because it's all about me. With selfishness, it's all about me. It's mine. It's like the enemy has, has a fortified place in our lives. And it all starts even with children. It goes all the way back to our children. It happened with you. Your mother and father had to correct you just like my mother and father had to correct me. It all goes back to our childhood. And the enemy seeks, seeks to fortify that place more and more, even as we get older. I am uh, 50, 63, I was going to say 53, 63 years old today. And I still deal consistently. I, it's not my birthday, but thank you for clapping. <laughs> I'll be 64 in April. I right, am. Um, <laughs> now I've lost my thought where I was at. Where the heck am I now? You, you've, you've just, all right, let's just go home. No, don't you dare walk out of here. The fact of the matter is, at 63 years old, I still deal with selfishness. It's one of my battles. You, you may have victory over it, and thank God you do, but Randy Chiz 
So often I deal with selfishness. I have to deal with this thing that just doesn't let go. Judas, was a, 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 Judas uses an excuse here and, and listen to what he says in verse five, uh, verse six. No, in verse five, he says these words. He says, hey, 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 wait a minute. Why, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? That's what he says. That's what he says. We're gonna look at, it, at this a little bit more in just a moment. But that's what he says. So let me ask you a personal question if you don't mind. Have you ever had a thought like that? Have you ever had a thought, why would they spend so much money? Why don't they give it to the poor? Let me get a little bit more in a detail. How about that house that's about a mile and a half down from your place? And it's a mansion. I mean, it's a beautiful, huge home. It's like three times bigger than the home you own right now. It's in a beautiful location. It's beautiful. Do you, what, do you ever have a thought as you see that beautiful home and you compare it to your home that you would sit back and just say, why are they wasting their money on that? There's only four people in that whole house. Why do they need, they should just, they should be giving their money to the poor. Oh, and you also know they have a lake house. You know, they're down on the lake. They're at Cross Lake. They have a lake house. And you and I both know that living up in central New York, you don't go to the lake house every weekend. You can't go there every Sunday because we have six months of winter. So why would they ever, why are they wasting their, they should be giving that money to the poor. Oh, and the SUV that they're driving, that's one of the best out there. They're just wasting their money. And oh, 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 by the way, in case you don't know, the pastor of Word of Life, he has a 1968 Corvette. And pastor, you call yourself a man of God. Why don't you just get rid of that Corvette and give all the money to the poor? Has anybody ever had those thoughts? Look at all the people that are lying right now. There's three hands up, and all the rest of you are sitting there with a halo over the top of your head. I never have those thoughts. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, the fact of the matter is, that was a selfish statement that Judas made. And I believe if that's what we do, we're saying the exact same thing. We're being selfish ourselves by making that same kind of statement. <clears throat> because really, really... He could care less for the poor. And I'm going to show that to you in just a moment. He could care less for the poor. And actually, Judas is trying to cover up other motives that he has in his life by pointing a finger at someone else's extravagance. That's what happens. That's how we justify ourselves. That's why we, we, we do what we do and have those thoughts that we deal with. Deal with... Uh, someone else's extravagance, and he did that because he was a thief. Judas doesn't care one bit about the poor. He just doesn't care. He could care less what they're going through. And let me ask you a question. What are you doing for the poor? Hmm? What are you doing? Are you generous? Do you help the poor out? Again, in John 12, verse 6, this is Jesus speaking. He says, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. The Bible tells us that. That's this whole motive behind doing what he was doing. So, to go a little bit deeper with you, I want you to understand that Judas is also looking for another kingdom that would be coming. Not only is he concerned about the money, but he's looking for other things. He's looking for a kingdom that would be coming along and personally is looking for a place of prominence that he could have in that kingdom. Why? Because he's selfish. It's all about him. It's all that he wants. It's all about me is what Judas is saying. In fact, the disciples were looking for Jesus to set up his earthly kingdom as well. All of them were doing this. Um, 
<clears throat> you can read for yourself in the four gospels and you will find the conversations and questions that they had about the kingdom of God. And they would ask questions like this, Lord, are you going to be setting up your kingdom here real soon? Lord, where is your kingdom? Lord, when is the kingdom really coming? One time they saw Jesus, uh, Jesus saw them talking with one another and Jesus says to them, what are you guys talking about? What are you arguing over? And of course, they didn't want to tell him what was going on, and you know why, I'm sure. I talked about this just a few weeks ago. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that they were all arguing who was going to be the greatest in the new kingdom that they're going to, which of us is going to be at your right and which of us is going to be at your left? I mean, they were all about self with what they were doing in this particular area. And so, even, even when Jesus had risen from the dead, and he's about ready to ascend into heaven before their eyes. He's talking to them. Acts chapter 1. I think the verses are 6 and 7. Uh, Jesus is there and he's soon to rise. And he's telling them about the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come on people's lives and change everything. And then all of a sudden one of the disciples in the back went, ooh, 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 I got a question. And the question was, who, uh, is it time now for, for you to set up your kingdom? And Jesus got a little bit irked with that. He's about ready to ascend to the Father, but he's a little bit uptight with that. And Jesus actually responds. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Uh, basically, Jesus told them, it's none of your business when it's going to happen, and stop asking me. Because they asked it all the time. They all were wanting to be that person who's in a higher level than others. Jesus told them, it's none of your business when it's going to happen. You just be faithful to what you need to do now and quit asking the question. The reason why I bring up Judas and the kingdom questions is because there's a brand of Christianity out there that preaches that we serve God not because we love him. We serve God not because we want to serve him. We serve God, they think, we serve God for what God can do for me. If I serve, if I give, then, uh, then God is going to do something for me. It's for what God is going to give to me. And all of that is based on selfishness. All of that, that kind of teaching, that kind of thought is all on selfishness. Why? Because selfishness is the enemy of generosity. Selfishness is the, the uh, enemy of generosity. Serving God is not what God can do for us. It's about what we get to do for God. It's about what we get to do for God. And I want to remind you again, some of you have heard my story. I'm not going to go deep with this. But back in 2016, I was going through the, one of the roughest times of my life. I was burned out. I was completely burned out. And I forgot this. I forgot about what God says within his word about this stuff. So I had different people, different leaders in my life who were telling me, take a break, get away, you got to recover. And I remember having thoughts, man. I'm being very honest, transparent. I've said all of this before publicly. But I had thoughts at this time because I was just so down under. I was so overwhelmed with life and with death and dealing with needs and problems and knowing that I'm not that good at anything. And why would God, why would you do this? Why would you put me here? Why would you do all? I, were, I remember thinking I'm better off dead than I'm alive. Didn't try suicide, wasn't thinking about suicide. I was just sort of hoping I would get in a really bad bike accident, motorcycle accident, and I'd just go to heaven. I would be much happier being there. And then Dwayne Durst. Dwayne Durst is our, our superintendent of our network of the state of New York. He attends this church when he's not speaking to other churches. And he's a personal friend of mine. And he, I, I decided I'm going to go see him. I was, I was just ready to walk out. I was not just going to quit the church. I was going to quit the ministry. I was going to get completely away from this because it's just too much for me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Convinced of that. Absolutely convinced of that. 
Dwayne and I sat and talked, and he said, Randy, you know what? You are right. You, you, are, you are burned out, and, and you're right. You, you may want to quit. He said, but let me remind you of something. You can quit if you want to. You don't have to do this. But he says, I want to remind you what God has done for you. And you get to do this work for the kingdom. You get to do this. I'm telling you guys, when he said that, all of a sudden, I just uncontrollably started weeping. I just started weeping. I get to do this. And that was where I finally said to him, yes, I'll take a sabbatical. I took an eight-week eight weeks sabbatical, and it would be in those eight weeks that God would renew my strength and, and it got me to come back. And so it, it was a powerful thing. Well, that same thing is for you and I as well. It's not about what we get God to do for us. It's about what we get to do for God. And I say this to all of you who are part of our life team. Life teams are, is our volunteers here at Word of Life. I say this to all of you who are volunteering. We have hundreds and hundreds of those who volunteer. You don't have to. I mean, you're going to go to heaven. If you've received Jesus, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you've asked him to become Lord and leader of your life somehow or another, you're going to go to heaven. You don't have to do the work in order to get to heaven. But I also want to let you know, he's paid a great price for you, and he loves you desperately. And you get to do anything that you can do for his kingdom and in reaching people. Come on, give the Lord a round of applause. He's a good God. The Bible tells us that the reason that Judas was so upset, I told you I was going to answer two questions, and the reason why Judas was so upset was because he was taking money and he wanted more money for himself. When he saw that all of that money could have been spent on him instead of pouring out on Jesus, doing what she had done, he was really upset about all of that. So the Bible tells us that Judas was a thief and that he held the, uh, the money box um, have you ever thought, have you ever thought who gave Judas that job that he had the money box? Have you ever thought about that? Is this making a lot of noise, guys? Because if you want me to go to handheld, I'll do that. It's all right. Have you ever thought who gave Judas that money box? Because he was the guy who had the money box. It was Jesus. Jesus is the one that appointed him. Well, then the next question would be, that, well, do you think that, that Jesus already knew that Judas was a thief? Well, you know, according to the Bible, and in Psalm 139, it's David who wrote Psalm 139. He says these words. He says, God knew us when we were being formed in our mother's womb. So obviously, Judas, when he was being formed, God knew that inside of Judas was this tendency of him being selfish, this tendency of him being a thief to steal. God knew that. And, G and uh, Jesus knew that Judas was a thief and that not only was he a thief, but he was also a traitor. In fact, about a year before his death, Jesus looked at the 12 disciples and he says, one of you is of the devil. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before Judas took off to get the 30, 30 pieces of silver um, that Jesus said to, to Judas, he said to him, and you are the betrayer. So why would you, Judas, uh, excuse me, why would Jesus do this with Judas? Just so you know, he didn't do this to set him up for failure. Jesus didn't have him be the guy in charge of the money box so that Judas would end up failing and this is the final outcome. Jesus did this so that he would succeed. So that he would succeed. Jesus purposely, purpose, purpose of, purposely, 
Is that how you say it? Um, Gave him the responsibility in this area of his weakness so that he could overcome this. One of my favorite verses is memorized. I'm not going to try to do it now, but it says these words. It says, no temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted uh, beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you will not fall. So that you can have victory over that. So that you can bear up under it. This is a great promise of God. This is what he promises. He promises a way of escape. No matter what you're tempted to do, no matter who you may be, all of a sudden this person or that person's in your life, whatever your temptations would be, the promise of God is that he will make a way of escape every single time. God will never allow you and I to be, a, be tempted above what we are able to bear. But he will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. And that is a promise of God. Come on, give me an amen to that. It is a great promise. Actually, there is a correlation here with tithing, with this whole story that we're talking about right now. Um, and notice what Judas was doing. He was, in essence, taking the money out of the offering box, and Jesus was, uh, because Jesus was a traveling ministry, uh, there were a lot of people who, who uh, uh, would want to support Jesus for what he was doing, and more than likely, he had boxes, or he had a bucket, or whatever he would have, he would have something to collect the offerings, and somebody had to be in charge of that, so he gave it to Judas. Judas was the guy in charge of all of that no matter where he was going. And yes, we understand now, and we see it clearly within the scriptures because of what Jesus says, Judas was taking money out of the offering. He was taking the money out of the offering bucket when it was coming by. He was taking that and putting it in his own pocket. So let me ask you all a personal question. Would anyone here take money out of the offering bucket when we're doing an offering? No. Right? We wouldn't do that. No way. You wouldn't take God's money for yourself, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't do that, would you? None of you would take or keep God's money to yourself, would you? I don't think anybody would here at Word of Life Church. But if you would... And if you did not give to God what's his, then your story is similar to Judas Iscariot's story. You're taken from God. I'm not threatening anybody. I'm just talking the truth. This whole thing is happening with Judas. And Judas is really messing up. He's been messing up. He's not repented. He's not... He's not found the way of escape. He decided he's going to, selfish, he was selfish. And I know last week we had a week off. Last week's tithe is as important to God as this week's tithe. So if you haven't tithed from last week, you need to do that. That's his money. It's not, not my money. It's not even your money. It's God's money. In fact, you know there's a scripture, Annie mentioned the scripture as well. Malachi chapter three, verse eight, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what ways have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings. God says in his word, the tithe is his. It's not yours. That 10%, Randy Chiz, Randy and Marianne Chiz, our, our income, our, what we have in our account, what comes our way with salary, 10% of that goes to God. That's not my money. It's, it's not, never been my money. We've done nothing but tithe all of our lives as husband and wife. It's God's money. 
And God says, if you don't tithe, you're, you're stealing from me. You're taking my money. You're taking what is mine. So the tithe belongs to God. It's his money and it's not ours. And there's an enemy of, gener- there's an enemy of generosity and that enemy is selfishness. And we all have to deal with selfishness. Point number two. Point number two is the extravagance of generosity, the extravagance of generosity. This widow comes and she gives two mites. Let me just read you real quick about that. This widow comes in verse, uh, Mark 12, verse 43. So we called his disciples and said to, said to them, he said, surely I say to you that this woman, this poor woman has put more in, has put in more than those who uh, have given to the treasury. There was a particular time that there was the gathering of all the finances and this one woman, she ended up giving uh, two mites is all she had, just two mites. And obviously what Jesus is talking about here, it's not the amount of money that matters. It doesn't matter what the amount is. Jesus says by all of those who were giving, and, and it says in those verses that there were some very rich people who gave generously. But Jesus says the one who gave the most was this woman. And the reason was because she gave all that she had. She had the right attitude. She had an attitude that my trust and faith is in God. So she gave those two mites to God, and that was it. There was, there was a denarii that was given here. Um, denarii is the, is the plural word for denarius. Denarii is the plural word for denarius. Denarius means one day's wage. And she gave two denarius is what she ended up giving. And there was a coin that's called denarius. But uh, they actually would, would change, the, the value of the denarius would be changing according to uh, inflation. And the bottom line is that denarius would be considered to be a one day's wage is what that would be. So by the time you would go through all the Sabbaths, by the time you would go through all the holidays, it would end up that there would be about 300 days of a given year. 300 days. So 300 denarii that it's talking about in these scriptures, 300 denarii refers to a one-year salary. That's what this woman gave. She gave a one-year salary of a gift to Jesus. And, and so if you think about it, um, uh, that's a lot of money. That is a very gener- generous gift. Mary, the sister of Jesus, gave an offering of a one-year salary to the Lord. Now, would that be extravagant to you? Give me a yes or a no. Would that be extravagant to you that you gave away a full year's salary to the Lord, to the house of God? Would, that would be big, wouldn't it be? It would be with me. You may have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. It would be a big deal to give a whole year's salary to the church. Let me go a little bit deeper. Would it be extravagant to you to take a one-year salary and buy perfume? And then pour that perfume all over someone's feet. Would that, would that be considered to you to be extravagant? I think that's extravagant. I think it's extravagant. But that's exactly what this woman did. This is exactly what Mary did. This is an is a extravagant gift that she gave to her Lord. And that's exactly all that she had done. What gift could you give God what gift could you and I give God that would be extravagant? Maybe a better way to answer or ask this question is, how much money will impress God? How much could you give him? How much money would impress God? Would one million dollars impress God? Would a hundred million dollars impress God? 
Or how about a hundred billion? How about a hundred billion? Do you think a hundred billion would impress God? Now, before you start thinking, you know what? I think it would. I think he would really like that a lot. No, no, that's not it. Let me remind you what God owns. He owns it all. God, God owns it all. He owns all of it. The Bible tells us, let me remind you about his house. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, it talks about where God lives, where he is at, his new Jerusalem, where he is at. The, uh, the streets are made of pure gold, is what the Bible says. Pure gold. And by the way, God didn't, didn't uh, have the pure gold to show off or to impress anybody at all. He did it because he has it all. He is God. He's the creator of all of this. He has it all. He has so much, and he has to do something with it, so he ended up making streets out of gold that he himself had created. The Bible tells us that the foundation of his home is built with 12 layers of precious stones. There are sapphire, uh, uh, jasper, emeralds, sardis, topaz, diamonds, and a bunch of other things that are told about what the seven layers of the foundation of the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. By the way, in case you don't know this, this is a mind boggler to me. I love this. But this is in the book of Revelation. Go to the last couple of chapters and you will find these words that I'm talking to you about. The new Jerusalem. Do you know that the new Jerusalem, the new city of Jerusalem in, the, in heaven is 1,380 miles long, 1,380 miles wide, and 1,380 miles high. And do you know that around the gates, the gates around New Jerusalem, there are, are gates around Jerusalem, and in those gates, each of those gates are a single pearl. Now, I don't know if that single pearl is 1,380 miles high or exactly what it looks like, but, but the Bible talks about the fact of how amazing and, and wonderful our God is. How much money, how much money, compared to all of that, how much money could you give God that would impress him? What would, what would you possibly be able to do? Well, the answer is nothing. There's no amount of money that will ever impress God. So let me show you a text of what can happen for you and I and what we can give to God. In 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, and it says these words, so he called, uh, no, and not only, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. They first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. The Bible tells us here, talking about the generosity, talking about what God would really want from us, the Bible tells us that they first gave themselves to the Lord. Every one of you can give that to God. Every one of you can give something to God that will impress him. And it's you. It's you. It's not your money. It's not a hundred billion dollars. It's you. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for you to give yourself over to him. Just so you know, in the Old Testament, God rejoices over you. Do you know that? The Bible says God rejoices over you. That means that the God of heaven, the one who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the Lord God Almighty, God jumps up and down and twirls about over you and over me, over us. 
It's the attitude of the heart that he rejoices over. It's the fact that you are doing and being everything you can do and be for the kingdom of God. That's what causes. So don't tell me that he, that, uh, he has your heart. If, uh, if he doesn't have your money, he, he, is, he has it all. He owns it all. It's all his. But there's a portion that we can have, which is 90%. There's 10% that goes to him. So don't tell me that, that uh, money, you know, that we're not to be generous. We are to be generous that way. But the fact of the matter is God rejoices over you and me. So go, let's go back to Mary. Mary gave something extravagant to Jesus. And do you know that she really didn't know what she was actually given it for? She didn't understand at this particular moment when she was given it. She didn't know uh, where all of this was really going to be going for her. So Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. If you remember, he said, she did all of this for my burial. Now, the reason why he said that is because you realize this was, this was the only anointing that Jesus got on his body for his burial. There was no other anointing that would take place except for what Mary did on that particular day. Because the Sabbath was coming after Jesus is on the cross and he died. The Sabbath is coming. They had to get his body off the cross quickly. They didn't have time to prepare it for the burial. And that's why they were returning to the tomb on Sunday morning. They were going back to the tomb, not because they thought he had risen from the dead. They were going back to anoint his body. In fact, they brought 100 pounds of spices to anoint his body. But he was gone. He was not in the tomb. He, come on, you got to give the Lord a round of applause. He was gone. He rose from the dead. And he was gone. Mary took that whole bottle of fragrant spices and poured out that entire bottle over Jesus' feet and over his head as a, as a, for his burial. And she didn't even know what was really going to be taking place in her life. She really didn't understand that at all. And that takes me to point number three in my closing. <clears throat> point number one, the enemy of generosity. Point number two, the extravagance of generosity. And number three, the reward of generosity. Mark chapter 14, verse 9, love this. Says these words, surely I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. She didn't, get she didn't want that. She wasn't looking for that. She wasn't even thinking about that. And what we're doing today right now in this service is that we're fulfilling the prophecy of what Jesus said thousands of years ago about this woman. People are going to talk about you, Mary. People are going to talk about you. And that's what we're doing here today. She wasn't looking for that kind of, of notoriety. notoriety. And why would she do all of this? I said the second question, the two questions, this is the second. Why would she do this? That she would give such an extravagant gift? Think about this with me. Her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead, being dead for four days. Don't you think that her perspective on life would change if her, her brother has been dead for four days and now he's back in life and completely normal 100%? It would change everything. It would change my mind. It, would, it changed her mind. Do you realize, do you realize, in that same vein, do you realize all of us who believe in Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, this is incredible, but according to Jesus, uh, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says these words. It says that he has made you and me to be alive who were dead in our trespasses and sin. You and me. Right now, we've been raised to life. If you're born again, whether you know it or not, you've been raised to life. You have been raised to life. And when you are raised to life and set in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. When that happens to you and I, when that happens to us, 
The Bible says it should change your perspective on life. To know that you are saved, you are protected, you have risen from the dead already, you're going to rise from the dead because of your faith in Jesus. Death is not going to have victory over you. So generosity comes out of gratitude. That's why she did what she did. She was generous in giving that full one-year wage as she poured out that spikenard. She didn't expect to be rewarded, but she was rewarded because God is a rewarder. My last scripture verse in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. God's word declares that God is a rewarder, a rewarder. In the Greek, it means to give extravagantly, over and above what would normally be due the person. This is talking about God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is your God. He's extravagant, he wants to extravagantly shower on you, to bless you, to be generous in your life. And there's only one way that that can happen. And the only way it can happen is as if you're generous. God will pour out his blessing on you. I close with this quick story. I was at West Point from 1987 to 92 as a chaplain. When Marianne and I first got there, the very first home that we lived in, the home we were able to secure was an old barn and they reconditioned the barn. It was a magnificent. Uh, the ceiling in our living room was 28 feet high and we used to play basketball in there in our living room. Us and the kids and the people who'd come and visit us. It was a barn and it was transformed into a beautiful home. We loved it at first. It was about 20 minutes away from uh, West Point, actually, where this house was located. And we really did want to be in, in um, right in Highland Falls, which is where we planted a church and where we wanted to live. But in the beginning, it was our first home. Secondly, after a couple of months, um, our house was discovered to be infested with rats. Infested with rats. And uh, I contacted our home office, the Assemblies of God for the state of New York, talked to the assistant superintendent about it, and I asked him, what am I supposed to do with this? We are, our house is infested with rats. He said to me, get a cat, and he hung up the phone. <laughs> well, thank God for Orange County, because Orange County did a little bit more for me than what our district did for, for us at that time. Um, and I want to let you know that we were pretty disappointed. We were pretty discouraged that we had these rats. I, I, I don't know about you. You may love rats, but I don't like rats at all. <clears throat> at the same time, I was, was told about an officer's Tuesday morning prayer breakfast every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And it would be there that I would meet this guy by the name of Colonel Ken Grice. Colonel Ken Grice is a full bird colonel, has his Ph.D. in physics, and he was a professor at West Point. Highly, highly re uh, respected and highly favored at West Point. At my first meeting that I went to, it just so happened that I went in that, in, uh, into that meeting and I sat next to this guy by the name of Lieutenant Colonel, uh, uh, Colonel Ken Grice. And uh, <clears throat> Ken started asking some questions, wanted to know who I was. So I gave him a quick rundown. Uh, moved here just a couple of months back. I was a youth pastor for the last eight years in Syracuse, New York. God called me and my family to move here to West Point to become a chaplain and to reach as many cadets as we can reach. Um, and we live about 30 miles away. And uh, just so you know, Colonel, our house is infested with rats, so right now we're not living in that house. And we're a little bit discouraged.
Well, didn't know Ken Grice at all. Had no clue who this guy was. But all of a sudden, Ken came up to me and he put his hands on my shoulder. We're standing up. He looks at me and he's looking at me and he's weeping. He begins to weep. And as he's weeping, as he's looking me eye and eye to eye, he said this to me. He said, Randy, we have been praying for you to come here. It wasn't you specifically, but we have been praying here at West Point for God to send somebody that will reach cadets, somebody that will reach teenagers, some that will even reach little children. Unbeknownst to me that this colonel, Fulbert Colonel, not only was he highly respected because of who he was and what he did, but what he also did was that he had a ministry called God's Gang. And in God's Gang, he had all kinds of hundreds and hundreds of kids. My kids used to be a part of God's Gang, what Colonel Grice did. And he put his hand on, on my shoulders and he's looking at me and he begins to weep. And, uh, and I, I ended up telling him that, that story about the, the, uh, uh, about the rats and, and he said these words to me. He says, Randy, he's crying. I want you to know that Jan and I will buy you another house. We want to buy you a house because we want to make sure you don't leave here. You have been called here by God. We don't want you to leave. We want you to stay. So we'll buy you a house and we'll make sure that you're safe and secure. I, I, I was shaking. I mean, I thought I'm dreaming. I called Marianne. We didn't have cell phones back in 87, but I called Marianne and I'm crying on the phone and I said, I've just met this colonel and this is what he said. Ken Grice ended up being one of my best friends there. He was a big inspiration. He was a great supporter of the ministry that we were doing in Highland Falls at West Point. He was one of the, he is one of the top reasons why we, if we had success at West Point, it was because of Ken Grice. And him and I, when he finally moved out, it was a couple years later that he retired and he got out. We just held each other and wept that day because we were saying goodbye. Just so you know, I said, no, we're not going to buy that home. We have, we're the sons of God and they're going to take care of that. We won't take that. Ken Grice. Ken Grice is the servant of the Most High God. Extravagantly generous. Extravagantly generous. Oozing out of that man. And God blessed him being one of the greatest men that West Point ever had. Would you please stand with me to your feet? Please stand with me. We're going to close out with one last worship song. We have a four worship set, four song worship set. We're going to close off with the final song. I ask you to please don't leave yet. We'll be out of here in about two and a half minutes. But we're going to sing one last song. If you have any need in your life whatsoever, these people who are down front are intercessors. They've been praying for you for the last half hour, 45 minutes, and they're ready to pray with you again. If you have a need, if you really have a need, no matter what it is, tell them what it is, they'll pray for you. You don't have to go into great detail, but let them pray for you. So as we begin the song, feel free to come right down. Go ahead, guys. Thanks for tuning into the message this week. Hey, if you haven't checked out our new membership process called Life Path, it's never too late to jump in. You can jump in on any of the classes which are offered the first, second, and third Sundays of every month. Want to hear more? Come on out to one of our services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. 